Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 73. It was really crappy for such a long time, and I'd come home and I'd work hours every day on it. And it was like, this isn't worth my time anymore. I quit. I got a full-time job because I had to pay the bills. And a few months later, it just rockets, and they end up becoming like a million-dollar company. It was sick. Welcome to a real-world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott. I'm your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. And across the computer screen from me is my lovely and amazing co-host, Carol Scott. How's it going today, Carol? Yeah, you know how it's going? I am so insanely proud of you. So listeners, get this. COVID took a toll on our family. Far too many cookies, far too many baked breads, far too many yummy treats. We all got a little bit of big bellies going on, truth be told. And Jay had a bet with another business owner on losing that COVID weight. And boom, this morning he reached his goal in the middle of doing so many amazing things for our family, doing so many awesome things in our business, in all of our investments. He has been running around nonstop, eating healthy, and he succeeded in his challenge. So crazy proud of you, baby. Way to go. Achieve my first goal. Many more after that. So anybody out there that's looking to lose weight, you can do it. Just set those goals and... Take it day by day. It's no fun, but we're getting it done. Okay, let's jump into today's show. I love, love, love this episode. So our guest is a guy named Chris Mead. He is a young co-founder of an awesome company called CrossNet. And CrossNet is essentially a volleyball game that he and two friends essentially just made up one day. They made up this game and said, we're going to go build it and sell it. So they had it developed. They found a manufacturer. They had it prototyped. They went through a bunch of revisions. They started selling it literally one at a time by playing on the beach. And when people came up and said, what is that? They said, this is what it is. You want to buy one? And here they are three years later. They've sold over 100,000 units of the game and are on track to do over $15 million in revenue this year. You heard that right. 100,000 units. It's $15 million in revenue this year after just three years in business. This episode is absolutely jam-packed with actionable tips for any entrepreneurs out there that are looking to create a product or just build their business. Uh, Some of the things we talk about first... Chris gives us literally the exact process for going out and finding a manufacturer and getting a prototype developed and a product developed in China. And you won't believe how inexpensive the whole process is if you follow Chris's instructions and and the process he lays out. Next, Chris gives us a list of things that can be negotiated, things that you probably don't even realize you can negotiate in your business that will help you keep your costs down and get your profits up. Chris talks about some of the key performance indicators that he tracks to ensure that his business is growing every day and every week and every month and every year. And then Chris tells us his single biggest tip for building relationships that are going to help your business take off and grow. And remember, this company has gone from nothing to $15 million in sales in three years. So you're going to want to hear this tip. Finally, make sure you listen to the end where Chris tells us all about the single biggest money losing mistake that he's learned in the, in the product business 
and how you can avoid that mistake as well. And it turns out that's a mistake I've made in one of my businesses as well. So I absolutely love that tip. Now, if you want more information about Chris, about CrossNet, or about anything else we talk about on this show, check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow73. Again, that's biggerpockets.com slash bizshow73. Now, without any further ado, let's welcome Chris Mead to the show. How's it going today, Chris? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us. You have so much great information, such a fun, energetic, action-packed story, and we totally can't wait to dig in. And we're going to hear more about your backstory in the origin of your company, your growth and evolution. But to start, could you please just set the stage for our listeners? What is CrossNet? What's your revenue like? Where do you sell? Just give us a high-level overview of what your company is. Yes, I'm Chris. I'm one of the co-founders of CrossNet, the world's first four-way volleyball net. Uh, So it's exactly what you think it may look like. It's two volleyball nets that intersect. Uh, We've combined Foursquare and volleyball together to make a really competitive, fun game to 11 win by two. We're sold in over 1,500 stores across the world. Started this three years ago, self-funded it, and on track for over eight figures this year. Wow. Eight figures. Okay. So that's 10, 10 million plus. Yep. That's awesome. Okay. So now let, let's dig in a little bit. So I guess we should start with, it's not just you, you have a couple partners. Can you take us back and just tell us kind of like your backstory, how you, what, what you did leading up to here, maybe what your partners did leading up to here, how you guys got together and, and how you came up with the idea? Yeah. So I had, uh, I had graduated film school from Quinnipiac University in Connecticut, a uh, small like liberal arts college, got out of school, uh, with way too much student loan debt to even swallow and went to start working on film sets in New York City. I was working on a show called HBO Girls uh, as a production assistant, but quickly I was working like 14 hours a day, making pretty much minimum wage and celebrating when we got over like 10 hours. So we made double time and it was just a grind, absolute grind. So I, I like pivoted into software sales, had a, a good buddy who was like always raving about his job. So Got hooked up there as a called, company called Contently, and I was like a, a, a SDR, so just like outbounding to people who probably didn't want to talk to me. Ended up getting some big meetings at like Fortune 500s, but it really like actually looking back helped me outbound, helped me get in front of people that really helped me at CrossNet. So that was kind of that, kind of, and then I moved over to Uber, uh, where I was one of the first ever account executives over there. So just like selling Uber Eats, launching Uber Eats in uh, Boston and Providence. And then one night, we all had this idea and uh, kind of just said, why not us? And we all quit our jobs like within two weeks. So tell us, how, how you came up with this idea. Was it, were you all sitting around dr- dr- drinking and said, hey, what, what can we do? Was it, okay, we need to find something else and said, okay, let's do a brainstorming session. Like what was the, what was the discussion and, and who are your partners? Where did they come from? How did they get into this? Like take us back to that. Yeah. That, that night. That night, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's my brother, uh, our childhood friend Mike, and myself. Mike had just graduated from Northeastern with an engineering degree. My brother was running a few e-commerce companies at the time. Didn't really have a, a corporate job ever. Uh, kind of just graduated, actually dropped out of college to do e-commerce. And I was kind of just in this rut of doing my nine to five, an hour commute on the train each way, making great money, but just kind of fed up with it. And I was only 20... I was 24 at the time. So I was like, I got to do this for another 40 years. Like, I can't do this. So uh, Mike came over. He's like, hey, guys, like, let's let's come up with a cool idea. We kind of just wrote down stuff all night long of ideas. We had ESPN on the background. 
and we grew up in a small, small far town, right? Like nearest Walmart's an hour away, like gas station's super far. If you don't get gas before the exit, like your car's gonna break down. So we drove down four-way volleyball net and we assumed we'd just Google it and some big private like Fortune 500 company would own it or do something like, and we just were never aware, but there's nothing on Google. And so we figured, hell, like, why not us? We woke up the next day, went to Walmart, got like two badminton nets and rigged them all up. And we were just so excited because we had our friends over and we just played for hours on that first prototype. That is so much fun. So I love that it was actually, it sounds like a conscious decision that you were not willing to do this grind anymore. You were just over already at the ripe age of 24. You were just completely over this idea of many more decades of working for somebody else. And so you all got together. Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you like how many times I woke up and I was like, I got to do cold calls again, like another eight hours of cold calling. Like it was just, it was too much or like having to report to a boss who may not fully understand the job or like if I need a sick day or if I want to go on vacation or I said, just don't feel like going in. I have to measure how many days I have and somebody else is in control of that. Like I was so over that. Understandably. So did you, did I hear you say you just quit your job and started or did you start developing CrossNet while you were still at your full-time job? Yeah, so we were developing, sorry, yeah. So we were developing it while we were at, while I was at my full-time job. And then literally two weeks after we had the idea, I told my boss, I'm like, hey, we're moving to Miami. Uh, So we all, our leases were expiring. We either had jobs or were leaving our jobs. And we literally just picked up and left to Miami because we were living in Connecticut. It was about to turn into fall and it's not the best uh, place to create a beach game in the fall in Connecticut when it's pretty cold or getting pretty cold. Uh, So I told my boss at Uber, I said, hey guys, like, I'm moving to Miami. If you let me work remote, I'll definitely keep the paycheck going for a few months. And so they let me work remote in Miami, but my whole mind was just cross net, cross net, cross net, like every day down there. So that was full time cross net, uh, January 1st, 2018. That is great. So I think there's actually a great pro tip in there. It sounds like you decided, you know, your mind was in the place of CrossNet, but you still wanted that that income so that you still had your stable job. But it sounds like for maybe a pro tip for our listeners that ask just full on asking your boss if you can work remote and continue doing it is is something that, you know, might seem like a big, bad, scary, horrible thing to do, but it worked out okay for you. Yeah. I mean, you never know what they're going to say. If you don't ask, you never know what the answer is going to be. And you'll be surprised most of the time it sides in your favor just because you worked up the courage to ask. So for me, it was all about finding how I could start this, but also when could I actually make an exit? Like my whole thing was I had a lot of student loan debt. I was paying a thousand dollars a month for my loans plus my rent, which was another thousand bucks. So it took a while to have some type of cash flow. I had to be really frugal for like six months, but I worked up enough cash where I had about four or five months of living expenses. And I said, hey, we'll figure it out after that. So we had this big whiteboard in our apartment in Miami where it was Chris, Mike and Greg. And we all had how much money we had in our bank account. And every week we'd like deduct like how much more money do we have left to live on before we all have to like figure this out big time. So it was our doomsday board. It was pretty cool. Okay, so the three of you are living in Miami. And so how much did you formalize this idea? I mean, was it just every day you wake up and say, okay, what do we do next? Let's uh, build a prototype or let's figure out how to package it. Or did you start and say at the beginning, okay, let's create a plan. Uh, I'm going to do this. Mike's going to do that. Uh, The other guy's going to do this. I mean, just how formal was the whole thing or were you just winging it the whole time? Oh yeah, still nothing's formal. Still to these days, we still kind of just 
to have fun with it. But no, I, our partners, fortunately for us, like when you get in business with people, for us, all of our skill sets were completely complementary. Where what I mean by that is like I'm the sales and like the marketing part person on the team. Uh, my colleague Mike is the engineer, right? I know nothing about engineering or AutoCAD. Who am I to tell him how to design a blueprint? So he was able to just run with that and take it straight to China. And then Greg does all the finance. He has e-commerce experience. So he's on another part of the business. So the three of us together has helped grow the company so fast. But no, we never had one a, a one-sheet or a business plan. All we knew is we reached out to Alibaba. We found a factory that we liked. We said, hey guys, can you make this for us? And we kind of told them, hey, we have enough money for 50 nets. Can you make us 50? We promise we'll come back and buy more. And after that, uh, we pulled all of our cash together. We got our first 50 and we went to the beach and started selling them. Okay. So I, I want to hear about the Celia, but th- I'm sure there are a lot of listeners out there who are thinking, okay, there are these three kids. And I don't mean that in a derogatory yeah, way, but you were course. young. You didn't yeah. have a ton of, you probably hadn't done any manufacturing before. And so you figured out how to like find a, a factory in China to build a prototype. Walk us through that. Like if there's somebody out there that's listening to this right now thinking, I've got an idea and I want to find a, a, a factory in China to build it. What do I do? Yeah. Uh, so if I was starting a company from scratch tomorrow, uh, let's just say it's for a basketball hoop and I have a new revolutionary idea for a basketball hoop. I would go on to Alibaba or AliExpress. And those would just be my two starting places, not where I'm going to end up. Uh, and I would type in basketball hoop. I would type in basketball hoop supplier. And then from there, you're actually going to be able to click on the listing and see who sells it. From there, you could actually contact the manufacturer and you could open up a dialogue with them. Most of the time, people are in the business of making money and making products, right? They're a manufacturer. So, hey, I'm Chris. I live in San Diego, California. I have a great idea for about new basketball hoop. It's revolutionary. Can I send you an NDA? And are you open on to taking on the, the manufacturing of it? So we kind of did that and we vetted several factories, uh, especially when you have this like brand new idea. You don't want to message it to a million people because then you'll wake up the next day and somebody's already selling your product and you're like, damn, I shot myself in the foot. So you be selective. If your product is not top secret, then don't no need to be so, like that secretive. But that's how the conversation started. And the things we vetted for were, do they speak the English language well or whatever language you are? Are they responsive? So not waiting nine hours back to get a text message back, like just to keep the dialogue going. And are they reasonable? Because most of these times people think you're VC funded, you have mommy and daddy money. It, it wasn't the case for us. It was we pulled our 401ks. We took our last two paychecks and this was all the money we had to our name. And either you worked with us or we're going to find somebody else to work with us. That's fantastic. I, I, I love that. So what's the process? So you find a, and that's the process for finding a factory, yep. but then you find a factory like, um, and you say, okay, we want you to build this. What do you give them? Like what kind of specifications, what types of drawings? Is it a collaborative process? How long does it take? Like, when do you pay them? How much do you pay them? What, like, what's, what's that all look like? Absolutely. So in hindsight, negotiate your rates even better than we did. Because once you started up number, you're always working your way down. I definitely wish we would have started lower, but you don't have so much leverage when you're a 24-year-old broke college kid with not much money to your name. So what we started with was we pretty much sent over a blueprint and we said, hey, this is our idea for the product. This is We rigged up the blueprint based off of the prototype we made in our backyard that night. Fortunately for us, like I said, my partner has engineering experience, so we didn't have to go outsource that to a a tradesman. And then from there, we sent that over. They started putting together the pieces that they thought would make the net. 
We waited patiently for about 60 days, 60, 90 days, I forget the real number, until it was overseas and we landed in Connecticut. Uh, we unboxed it that day, brought it straight to like the beach and we started playing. And from there, we started doing like revision rounds. Uh, it stood up the first time, it worked, it was fine, but it was far from perfect. So we started playing, started to see what people wanted. We decided that, hey, this thing is too short. It was only like six feet tall, like pro volleyball nets are like almost eight feet tall. It would be sweet if it was men's, women, and children adjustable. So we made it adjustable. And we found that the stakes weren't staying in permanently, so the game would fall down. So we made the stakes more permanent. So we did about four or five rounds of revisions. Took about a full year before we were really ready to start selling this thing. And it sounds like if you just took it out to the beach and you were testing it, it sounds like you're almost inadvertently doing focus groups by getting just other people to join in. Is that about right? Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly how we sold the first 50 models, like the first 50 units that we had too. We'd go to the beach, we'd set it up. People would be like, okay, they're setting up a volleyball net. And then we take out the other side and they're like, whoa, what's going on? And by the end of the day, we'd literally have 40, 50 people in line every single day trying to like playing the game. People would be recording it, tagging it. I'd be going around with my camera, taking photos for the website, uh, taking videos on my phone to run it, uh, like Facebook ads at night. And at the end of the day, we just, we knew our product cost. We'd say, hey, take it for a hundred bucks, take this model home. And people would, uh, people would buy them almost every, every time we went to the beach. So that is so cool. So how'd you come up with that hundred dollar price point? Uh, I mean, I just knew my manufacturing cost kind of figured, hey, this sounds like a decent margin. So we started at 100 for the retail cost and then quickly learned that we needed to bake in wholesale margins for our vendors if they're going to sell the product and take it on. So we raised it from 100 to 150 about six months into the business. Awesome. I, I want to go back and ask one more question about the whole Alibaba and prototyping yeah. process, because uh, this is something that I always wonder about how much did you spend to get that original prototype and then some revisions before you finally had a product that you could go out and actually start using? That's a good question. So the revisions, so the, the big thing that costs a lot of money, right, is the shipping from China. So shipping a 20 pound product from China, we were paying like three, $400 at a time to like express ship this thing over because wow. otherwise you'd have to wait a long time. So I'd probably say, I'm just ballparking here, right? Probably 5,000 bucks to get the final prototype. And then from there, we mass produced and we brought in 50 units. Well, mass produced 50 units. So that's actually not too bad. I mean, $5,000 to go from concept to getting a first prototype to getting several revisions. I mean, that's something that most people, if you have an idea for a product and you want to go overseas, eh, you can use it. You can use a credit card and do that. You can borrow money. You can find a small investor. So I, I was thinking you were going to say something like fifty dollars or $100,000, but literally $5,000. Absolutely. And one thing, one thing to note, most manufacturers do not take credit cards. So you'd have to do some type of uh, cash advance to get the cash into your bank account for a bank wire. That is a really good tip. I never would have expected that. Yep. That's an awesome tip. Okay. So you were getting these lots of 50 at a time, it sounds like, and they were selling out at the beach. I think you also mentioned in there that you're taking photos and maybe posting on social media or something. Can you Talk to us more about that. I think that's so intriguing because it sounds like you may have a blend of some type of, I don't want to say free advertising, but you know, just what was that ad online advertising like in the early days and how do people get started doing that type of thing? Yeah, for us. So we built a, a website on Shopify, uh, about $29 a month, super cheap. We're still on Shopify. And my whole goal was every night I'd come home and 
I'd edit the photos that I took at the beach and just drop them on the website. Like, here's the clips from the day. I'd make a, a brand new little products page. We'd upload to Instagram. We'd upload to Facebook. And then we'd actually start running targeted ads on different demographics. As we got older and smarter about it, we'd split test different demographics. But in the beginning, it was just, let's get a 15 second clip recorded on the iPhone. There's no need for these $5,000 videos that most companies like start in debt with. And we could do this on our own. So yeah, we'd, we'd go to the beach every day. And what we ended up seeing was customers end up buying it. I remember these girls from New Jersey bought it. They're on vacation in Miami. They took it home to New Jersey and we kept getting sales from their town. So we knew that those girls were out doing the same thing we were doing in Miami, but doing it on their local beach. So our mindset eventually got to, let's stay inside and go on the computer, work on getting more of these out to the world rather than us going having fun on the beach and having our customers do the marketing for us. So we ended up creating a product that just really markets itself. And now we have 100,000 units out there at any time people are out there playing, getting that 40, 50 people reaction. Wow. So it, it really is. It's a snowball effect. You, you get a couple units out there and that sells more. And, and like you said, you have 100,000 units out there. If each one, if somebody's playing with it and one other person sees it, I mean, you're just going to get sales forever. Exactly. That's that's awesome. Okay. So I want to go back. So you now have a product that you're you're getting from China. Did they create the packaging as well? Did you create the packaging? How are you like storing these? Are you, do you have a warehouse? Are you keeping them at your house? Are you doing drop shipping? What's the whole taking orders and fulfillment process look like now that you're starting to gain some traction and it's not just like, I assume you're selling more than a few a day. You need a process. What's that look like? Yeah, so for the first year, we weren't selling too much, to be honest, right? Our first year in business was 2018. We did $87,000, which was less than I was making at Uber. So that was tough, tough pill to swallow. Second year, we went to two and a half million. So that was a skyrocket from the year before. But for us, when we started looking at how do we actually fulfill this? Do we keep them in our mom's basement? That wasn't really practical. The things are big. We weighed the pros of owning our own fulfillment center versus going to a 3PL. There's places like Shipmonk, I, Ship Daddy, Ship Bob, all these other companies. But um, for heavier products, they charge you an arm and a leg for the storage fees and the the trans, the 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 moving of the packages. So we were getting like quoted at $10 per unit, which ate up so much of our margin. So we're like, we could just hire a friend to do this. We'll pay him a salary of like 40,000 bucks and he could go to the warehouse a few times a week and get it done for way cheaper. So we ended up shipping it ourselves. We got that $10 quote down to like 50 cents and we managed it ourselves. I could simply like text or Slack now and be like, yo, we need this order out now. And I know like he's our full-time worker dedicated to it around the clock. So we've built our fulfillment team in-house. We have a warehouse now in Connecticut, California and uh, Windsor, which is right outside of Toronto. So we have three warehouses. And yes, we do all fulfillment in-house. It's all done through Shopify. One thing we've learned over the years, roughly, so we used to just accept whatever quote UPS or FedEx gave us. And that that was tough because our game weighs a lot to ship. Uh, What we've recently done was reach out to the biggest shipping companies like UPS and FedEx. We put them against each other, had a bidding war, and they've just come back and kind of just had a, a huge little RFP for our and UPS one. So we're moving forward with UPS. We have a flat rate across the country. We can ship these guys for really, really cheap, which is awesome. 
That is really cool. I had no idea that you could do that, that you could send out, it sounds like a, a call for proposal at RFP yeah. to these different companies and say, give us your best price and, and go for it. That's really good yeah. to know. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think we could have done that in the beginning, but now at the scale we're at, they're bringing tractor trailers to pick up stuff every day. So it's like, do you guys want our business or do you not? So we do that for RFPs for that. We've done RFPs for freight forwarding. So bringing stuff from China to your warehouse in America. That's a whole logistics process that you could get negotiated for right off the bat. And then the biggest one that we've learned also, I'm just throwing this out here, is payment processing. Uh, we were getting killed with rates on Shopify. We're paying 6%, 5% for stuff. Uh, so we've switched to a smaller bank and they give us like a fee that's like almost a, a third of that. Wow. Wow. So you can really shop around all these different aspects Everything. of your business. So you have all these new systems, processes, et cetera, in place. But I want to go back to one thing you mentioned earlier that I think is insanely valuable. You mentioned that in your first year in 2018, I think you said you had you did about $87,000 in revenue and it was less money than you were making at Uber. And it was a really tough pill to swallow. Um, I would love to know more about the mindset that got you over that hump that said, this is worth it. I'm going to keep going rather. Because I think a lot of people at that point might have just said, I don't know if I can sustain this. So can you talk to us more about that? Absolutely. So it's twofold. One, the biggest thing I measure for like as a founder is, are we making progress every day or at least every week? So things that I'm looking for are, is revenue going up, even if it's just one extra order a day, is online site visitors going up. So I, I use everything off of a metric of 100 visitors. If I have 100 visitors coming to my site, I know my predictable conversion rate. I know my predictable net profit. So I know I get 100 people here. I know X amount of customers are going to buy. And I know that I'm going to make this money net based off my ad sale, how much money I'm spending on ads to get those 100 people to my site. So if that metric is improving every day, uh, my business is improving because I'm making more net profit. So my goal during that first year was, how do I get an extra 100 people coming to my site every single day? And now we've scaled it up to like 15,000 people to our site some days, which is awesome. So it was really tough. But also, I had a learning lesson before I started CrossNet. I had another e-commerce company with my college roommate and my brother, and I quit it. Uh, I quit right before it started being good. It was really crappy for such a long time, and I'd come home and I'd work hours every day on it. And it was like, this isn't worth my time anymore. I quit. I got a full-time job because I had to pay the bills. And a few months later, it just rockets and they end up becoming like a million dollar company. It was sick. But it's a lesson for any entrepreneur. Like you just got to keep going because you never know what's behind that next door. If it comes to a point where you can't do it anymore, like that's understandable. But sometimes you got to just keep going and just look for the little wins every day. And, and that's what I saw in CrossNet. And that's why we're we're still working on this. I, I love that. And we've done 75 of these podcasts now over the last year and a half. And that's something we hear over and over again, which is things start out slowly and people, it's it's so easy to give up thinking, okay, the, the idea is not working. I'm not good enough to do this. There's no market out there. But a lot of times it's really, it's it's an exponential growth sort of thing. You'll get a little bit of traction and then things will just start to take off, but it can take months 
years, even a decade or more. I mean, our very first episode was with Josh Dorkin, founder of Bigger Pockets, who talked about the fact that it took him 10 years before he started to see that traction. But as soon as you start to see that traction, I mean, it's just like it's, it's crazy. It's a bolt of lightning and things just start to take off. So I, I love that tip. It, it's just something that just needs to be reiterated over and over that you just got to keep going. Those were the exact words you used. And I, I think that's perfect. Okay. So you now you're, you're starting to gain traction, and you're focused on some of these um, uh, KPIs, these key performance indicators, like his revenue going up or online site visits going up. You're tracking your ad spend to to know what your uh, conversion costs are um, or your acquisition costs are. At this point, like, is it time to just sit back and and enjoy the fruits of your labor, or are do you have plans to kind of keep growing and keep building? And and what are you doing to kind of get to the next level to get from eight figures to nine figures or ten figures? Yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, those are still metrics I'm looking at every day. I'm spending less time on that and more on the overall brand of the company and expanding to retailers. For us, my biggest thing are are is this. Uh, I'm working on. We just got nationwide with the exported goods. So that's really cool. We're in Shields nationwide. We're in Academy Sports nationwide. Uh, I can't mention a name, but we're working with one of the largest stores in the world uh, come spring 2021 yet. That's going to be huge. So that's going to be 800 plus doors. And then for us, my my biggest thing to grow the sport from an eight-figure sport to a nine-figure sport is twofold. It's international expansion. Volleyball is popular in every country. Not as I mean, volleyball is not even that big in America. So if we get out to Brazil and all these European countries that absolutely love in South South America that love volleyball, uh, we could definitely duplicate the business that we've done here. And then building more roots in the professional volleyball game. So we're having AVP players, these professionals rep CrossNet, become CrossNet athletes, and really start uh, showing the sport off. Okay, there are so many things to unpack in all of this amazing growth story. So, wow, this growth, it's its so fast. Like there are it so is. many things that you have done in such a short amount of time. So, so many questions. Let's start with, you you went, okay, you, you originally had somebody, in, a manufacturer in China producing 50 units at a time, for yep. example. It sounds like you had them producing a heck of a lot more at a time <laughs> after that. You had a Shopify site. Did you, to, to begin getting into these big box stores, did you have a distributor? Were you just making phone calls on your own? How did that process work out? Yeah, what was the, what was the story of getting dicks to say, okay, we're going to carry your product on our shelves? Yeah, of course. So it all goes back to those days at Contently, where I was an SDR finding ways to book meetings with those Fortune 500 people, right? Like you actually learn lessons from those jobs that you hated, uh, which is crazy to say. So the first store ever was Shields, uh, which is a small Midwest store. They have about 34, 36 locations. And I just messaged a dude on LinkedIn. And then I got his email address and I said, hey man, like, please, like I guarantee this will sell. Like this is gonna be good for you. And he said, okay, fine, I'll take 16. And at the time 16 was like, out of this world. So he took 16. They never sold. It took like eight months for him to even write me back. Like I assumed he was mad at me. And eventually the, I guess I just our viral marketing just kind of took off. Uh, we woke up to a really big viral video from some famous players out overseas. And he said, Hey guys, let's go nationwide with this product. Like all the units sold out overnight. Like we need it in every store. So we went nationwide with Shields and I get a, I check my inbox one morning and the buyer from Dick's Sporting Goods 
wrote on our chat box on our Shopify store, hey, this is so-and-so from Dick's. We want to carry CrossNet. We have a buying proposal for you. Let's chat. And that's I, I see so many people without chat boxes on their website. And I'm like, you need to have a chat box. You never know who's going to write on there. That's how we got the Today Show. But anyway, go back to your question. So Dix wrote to us. I sent them a quick email. They placed an order for 300. And before we even shipped the 300, they're like, can we scale that order to 5,000? I said, of course you can scale that order to 5,000. <laughs> Just give me an extra week or two to fulfill it. So uh, yeah, that, that's what's going on there. And it definitely uh, helped with COVID becoming, changing everybody's mindset to, I need to be outside. I need to get some fitness activity. Uh, so that's kind of helped our growth as well. Awesome. And I do want to clarify one thing for anybody out there that's listening. You've used the term SDR a few times. For anybody that's not familiar with that, it's basically a sales development rep. Is that yeah, is that what it absolutely. stands for? It's just somebody set up the meetings for the, the bigger bigger guys yep. to close. And a lot of it is cold calling. Is that correct? You're just uh, basically yep. reaching out to potential prospects and saying, hey, I'm so-and-so. would love to get a meeting with you to, uh, to, to talk about our product. That's absolutely it. And then you get your little bonuses for scheduling qualified meetings. So that okay. was the whole job. So, so there, there's a lesson in here for everybody that, and again, we hear this a lot, you need to be willing to pick up the phone. I mean, you can have the best product in the world. You can have the best margins in the world. You can have a customer base that really wants what, what you're going to sell. But if you're not willing to pick up the phone and sell yourself and make things happen, they're not just, if you build it, they will come, just doesn't really work in the real world. And not so, and, and so it's just an, another good reminder that picking up the phone and, and being willing to make these cold calls is huge. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your partners now and how you're, I, it sounds like at the beginning, everybody was kind of doing everything and you're still kind of doing everything, but yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned that you're kind of focused on sales. One of your partners is, is focused on product development. The other one is, it sounds like he's more like the finance CEO type. What is the breakdown of roles now between the partners and how has that been formalized? Yeah. So those roles are actually all pretty much the same. They haven't changed much since uh, we started our our CEO kind of handles the the legal and the finance stuff. We're actually bringing on a full-time finance person, hopefully by the end of the week. So very much long overdue. But Mike, uh, the guy who's in charge of the product, he's been working really hard over the last three years. We've actually just rolled out our indoor bases. So we're in 7,500 schools right now. So kids are going to gym class, learning how to play volleyball on a cross net, uh, which is a crazy concept. But a lot of these northern states that get really cold in the winter have been begging to play cross net inside. So we developed an indoor base. Uh, so that's been out. Uh, we developed a doubles net. So it's two times as long. So you have more room to run around. You can make it a team sport rather than a solo sport. And we also just put out cross net H2O, which is a pool model. So the first ever volleyball net, four-way volleyball net in your pool. So yeah, he's been busy. So fun. I want to follow up on that, Jay. So how... Uh, even though that's like his specific role, how are you coming up with these iterations? Is it from customer feedback? Is it just from, hey, let's give this a try? Is it what stores are asking for? How does that R&D process work? Yeah, so it's stores and customer feedback for sure. We use a little tool called Okendo, which is a, re a review app that helps kind of get customer feedback, get customer data. It's helpful. We're always on the beach, like playing cross so we could get feedback. I mean, the first thing we've ever heard was, the thing's a little too small. It's a lot of fun, but I wish I had more room to run around. The The most logical conclusion was, hey, let's make it two times as long and put two people in each box instead of one. So you could run around making a team sport. 
It's cold. I can't play CrossNet in the winter. It's snowing. Okay, let's bring it inside. Uh, so how do we develop a base? So they're all kind of logical next step moves, but then you talk with the retailers. For example, I was just talking to one of my retailers and I said, hey guys, what do you think makes more sense for this product? Do you want a box? Do you want a plastic package for the net? How do you want to sell just the net? So I do work with the buyers at the store. They give me specific specs and I try to hit them. Uh, working on a new box for Dick's next year where it's going to be smaller for their shelves just so they could stack more and it helps us get our order volume up so it's definitely a collaborative process between the retailers our customers and just ourselves, kind of just dreaming up new ideas this is such great information how did you get the deal with all these schools across the northeast i mean schools are notorious for having very limited budgets yeah so as cool as this product is the concept of this many schools signing on is amazing to me so how did that how did that evolution happen it's real cool. So what happened was we first started doing that viral marketing, right? We'd advertise specifically to, there's actually levers that you could flip where you could pick gym teachers or volleyball coaches. So we knew that we were getting volleyball coaches and gym teachers attention on Facebook and social media. So they would start and they still do. They come off to our site one off. They'll message us saying, Hey, we'd like to place a purchase order for our school. And then we would do the one off sale. That's a very lengthy process, but it happens like five times a day still. But these schools actually have, they have a buyer's guide, like a, a, a big catalog come to them every quarter where they pick out all their stuff and they spend their budget on. Uh, so the next logical move, they're called like Gopher Sports, Flag House Sports, Toledo. So I reached out to the buyer there. I said, hey guys, like we have a four-way volleyball net. It would be great. Uh, teachers are already buying it. Uh, it's amazing for their students. So they all picked us up. They put us on the cover, like the inside cover of their catalog, and they just buy units every week from us. So it's been a really good relationship. Wow. And again, I imagine a lot of this just came from you picking up the phone and reaching out and, and saying, hey, I'm, I'm trying to build a relationship here. Talk to us. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, it's also, it's been a great tool for the kids because all three of our the founders, we're all terrible at volleyball. We're so bad. <laughs> We're not volleyball players at all. We, we played basketball growing up in soccer. But the cool thing about it is we're very like honest people. Like when I saw volleyball growing up in gym class, I was like, man, not volleyball day because it's six <laughs> on six, 10 on 10. And I'd have to hit, I'd hit the ball one time in a 45 minute class. And I'd be like, oh, what a waste of time. But now you have a cross net. Kids are spiking on each other. You're hitting the ball every 30 seconds and you're working on your hand-eye coordination and volleyball skills and you don't even realize it. So... The kids are loving it at the class and they're they're begging their teachers to play it. So that's cool. I would imagine that all this viral marketing that's happening too makes it that much more exciting for the kids and really drives those sales. And I think you had mentioned earlier too that you linked up with some pro volleyball players to maybe uh, that you're sponsoring or something. Talk to us more about how that happened. Yeah, so we, well, first actually, we just formed a partnership with Wilson, the ball company. So... Wilson now makes the official cross net ball, uh, which is amazing. Literally grew up like not having enough money to buy a Wilson ball growing up. That would be the $40 basketball. We'd settle for the, the Spalding or whatever. But now we have a beautiful Wilson ball. Put that on our website. It, it makes it much easier to legitimize the company, right? We're no longer just Chris, Mike and Greg's dream product. We're backed by Wilson making our product. And so how, do, how does that, what does that relationship look like? Do they like literally just physically like produce the ball and give it to you? So that's one less cost to you. So basically you're making more money because you now don't have to produce a ball or are they paying you some sort of money to put their name on the ball? What's, what's that specifically look like? Yeah. So our biggest, so going back to that customer feedback and getting data, right? 
the biggest thing that we kept hearing was our balls weren't good enough. When volleyball players play our game, they like to use their professional beautiful ball that costs like 35 bucks. Can't blame them. Why would they want to use our ball? So we're, we're like, how can we improve this? No better way than going to the best ball manufacturer in the world, right? And so we reached out to Wilson. Uh, we said, hey, like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of us, but we're pretty big. Like, do you guys want to work together? And they wrote back like, yeah, our colleagues love CrossNet. We actually play it all the time. Of course, we'd love to do something. Uh, so we kind of started pitching like they they pitched us a few ball ideas that we thought we'd like. They actually just put out a new ball this year called the OPTX ball, which is like the new must have ball in volleyball. And they're like, how about we just co-brand it and have Wilson and CrossNet on the same ball? And we're like, done. So, yeah, we... we wow. They don't pay for the ball. That would be too good to be true. Uh, we actually have to pay for the ball because somebody has to pay for it. So we pay money to get it manufactured, but it's at a very fair and affordable cost where we could then go resell it and uh, resell it to our customers. Love that. And once again, it, it was a result of you picking up the phone and asking the question and exactly. worst, they, worst they can say is no. No, exactly. Love it. Okay. So what does your operation look like now? So you had mentioned you have a finance, uh, not a finance guy. You have, uh, you're bringing on a finance guy next week. I think you said. Finally. Yep. Finally. And you said you have a, a fulfillment guy that, that you're paying to fulfill orders. What is the, so besides those, the, besides those two and, and the three, three partners, what does your team look like? Yeah, so we have nine nine full-time employees now. So we have three founders. Uh, we have the marketing team that we've built out. We have like a, a head of marketing uh, and a head of like creative services. We have a head of social media and like e-commerce. So those two report directly under me in the, the, the CMO role. Uh, we have our warehouse out in Cali. So we have an operations manager out there. We have a warehouse out in Connecticut. So we have an operations manager out there. Uh, we have two full-time people in Canada running the Toronto warehouse. And then we have a team of 20 virtual assistants. So they're all based in Philippines or China or Romania. And they're working on things such as coding, uh, customer service around the clock, graphic design. Uh, and the best thing about having virtual assistants, uh, use a little tool called freeup.com, super, super cheap and affordable. Uh, but essentially I'm only paying for them when I need them to work. Uh, coming from the corporate world, I know half my day was just, how do I fool my boss to thinking I'm working? So instead of paying people eight hours a day, I'll pay them two or three hours and actually get the most bang for my buck there. So really cool that, tool. That's awesome. And uh, I, I have to mention, you mentioned freeup.com just coincidentally. The founder of freeup.com is Nathan Hirsch, yep. and he was a guest on our podcast. Um, I'm trying to find out episode, oh, I can't find the episode number, but anyway, um, he, he runs an awesome organization and, and FreeUp is a, we, we talked to him for an hour and, and yet yeah, uh, for anybody out there that's looking to find out more about using VAs, make sure you check out our episode with Nathan Hirsch, the founder of FreeUp.com. So pretty cool that you're using them as well. Yeah. Well, Nate, Nate actually was my first boss. He, we went to college together we were in the same fraternity. So yeah, my uh, freshman, my, one of my first uh, weeks of school, he's like, I need help on my Amazon business. So this was before FreeUp. And he's like, anybody want to work on Amazon with me? And at that time, I was uh, working in the kitchen at the, the school cafeteria. It was called The Rat. I was the pizza guy. So I was like, oh, I guess I could do Amazon instead. So I went over to his house. He taught me about Amazon. And yeah, I've been working. I've known Nate for almost 10 years now. That's so funny. Well, small yeah. world. 
Yep. Okay, so um, I want to, and you don't have to go into detail here. Everybody has different comfort level with this question, but I'd like to know a little bit more about just what your numbers look like. So you mentioned that you're in the eight figures now. Can you give us an idea of, if for anybody out there that's like, obviously, if you sell online um, or through your own website, you're going to keep most of the money. But what does the relationship look like when you're selling either on Amazon or through a distributor? You mentioned you had to raise your prices when you started working uh, with wholesale and distributors like can you give us an idea of what the numbers look like how much get goes to the distributor to amazon or to other people in the process and how much comes to you yeah i can i can give you some insight so i won't give you the exact crossnet model uh, but fine. i'll give you a model if i was like working from scratch right so if i had a, a 25 dollars product cost so it cost me 25 dollars to land this guy i would then go to sell it to dicks or walmart for 50 dollars. so about 2x what i manufacture it for and then I would send it, sell it to the end consumer for $100. So I try to make as much money as I can and much traffic onto my e-commerce side, buy it for 25, sell it for 100. And at wholesale, I'd be about 2X, where uh, retail, I'm about 4X. So okay. that's kind of our margins and what we're looking for in CrossNet. My whole goal is to drive most of the traffic to my site. And then from there, they could bounce and go to Dix or another reputable site. Uh, but my whole thing is I always want to own my customer's data big time. Uh, that way I can hit them with upsells, cross-sells, other promotions and all of that. From a revenue standpoint, like I said, first year was 87 grand. Lot 2019 was two and a half million. This year I'll be pretty upset if we don't hit 15 million. Wow. That's that is absolutely incredible. And my mind is blown that you just started this in 2017 and weren't even selling until 2018. 18, I think yep. explosive is absolutely an understatement. So what's next? What is what is next for CrossNet? I mean, can and I mean this in all seriousness, is there a way you can become like an Olympic sport? And I, I mean, I'm totally serious about yeah. that. It's just, it sounds like it's gaining such massive popularity and just becoming very mainstream or I, that's obviously just an idea. What What is next on the horizon? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we so we just put out the doubles net earlier this year and then social distancing kind of hit us in COVID. So it's not as cool to promote an eight person game as it was uh, in 2019. So um, looking at the sport as a single sport or a double sport, I see doubles being the, the way of the future where teams will travel across the world to play each other. Uh, you have the best pro professional volleyball players in the world playing together on a cross net to compete. Uh, so yeah, I a hundred. I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but yeah, why why not the Olympics? I mean, you got weirder sports in the Olympics. So yeah, Olympics would be sweet. I think right now our biggest thing is just getting volleyball players and really good athletes on the net and spread the sport. Uh, we're doing a great job selling the product, but getting the end consumer to continue to use it and use it and use it and spread and be our advocates and create that snowball is the biggest thing I'm working on. Fantastic. Okay. Give us one more piece of advice before we jump into the, the four more segment. Give us one more piece of advice for anybody out there that might be developing something similar to this, not necessarily similar like volleyball, but somebody that has an idea for a product or a game or a sport and they're like, don't know where to go, where to start. Give a great piece of advice for, for them if they happen to be listening to this right now and, and this is just perfect timing for them. Yeah. Really just why not you? Like, everybody that you look up to, everybody who has a cool product, they're all just normal dudes. Like everyone's just a normal person with a friend group making corny jokes. Like it's, if you have a good, uh, like an idea, a good opportunity, just go for it. 
Uh, otherwise, you're always going to live with that regret. I, I know it would be absolutely killing me if I saw that Greg and Mike were doing this without me right now and I was still at Uber. Um, so you just got to go for it, uh, especially if you have that security of a, a good resume or a college degree. Those jobs are always going to be there. If it's not that one job you're at, it's going to be 1,500 other ones that are all the same. So if you have a good idea that you think it's once in a lifetime thing, go for it. You never know what's going to happen. And be smart, be frugal, and continue to treat all the money in, in your business bank account like it's your personal bank account. Otherwise, you start falling out of control. Absolutely love it. Okay. Well, this is the point in the show. We're about 45 minutes in. So I want to jump into the segment we call Four More. And that's where we ask you the same four questions that we ask all of our guests. And then the more part of that is where you tell us more about where our listeners can find out more about you, your product, and can connect with you. Sound good? Cool. Yep. Fantastic. Then I will take the first question. Tell us, what was your very first or your very worst, I'll let you choose which one, job, and what lessons did you take from it that you're still using today? Good question. Um, I think my worst job was being a janitor. That was really... Hey, I was a janitor mopping toilets. Um, literally, I just mopped toilets and mopped tables at a high school. That was my first job. And my second job was being the pizza boy at the rat at my college. So both very humbling jobs. And I think what it taught me is that like, you have to treat everyone with the same amount of respect, regardless if, I mean, it's like that quote, right? Like uh, I treat the janitor, like I treat like the CEO, but it's true. Uh, everyone's in all different weeks of life. Like I'm fortunate that I have a cool idea in the volleyball net, but before that I was just a janitor. So like you got to treat everybody the same and give everybody the respect uh, at least until they take it away. Awesome. Okay, I'll take the second question. I would like to know, Chris, what is the best piece of advice or the best tool you haven't mentioned today or just one pro tip that has served you really well that you have for small business owners or young entrepreneurs that you haven't yet mentioned? I haven't yet mentioned. I mean, Google Analytics is great. Uh, just being able to track, like when you're at scale like us, we're flipping all these different levers all the time. And the only way we could really get to the source of that data is using Google Analytics and really setting it up really well from the, the get. Because uh, the way I, I kind of run our company, like it's always an experiment, right? Like let's throw a hundred bucks here. If I can make 105 bucks, let's do 200 the next week. So we're flipping so many different levers all the time. Sometimes it's even just hard to keep track. So having it all come into one place is really, really important. And for me, I didn't, I didn't know much about Google Analytics before I started the company, but you could take lessons online or you could just hire a person to run it for you and then tell you what's up. So love it. And it's a completely free tool too. And that's the best part. Awesome. Okay. Question number three, what is the biggest fail? I'm changing up this question up a little bit. This is a different question I normally ask, but I, I like this question. What's the biggest fail you've had either in this business or a previous business? And what lessons did you take from it? And I'm not going to let you use the one that you used in your last business where you left too soon. We need something else. Absolutely. Product packaging. So the biggest thing you do when you start up a, a company, right, is like, how can I get price breaks? What price breaks can I get at what levels? So we bought a ton of packaging, like so much packaging, just because we got some type of price break. And we got them all into the country. We spent thousands of dollars on it. And what do you know? We changed the product up just by a little bit where the, the packaging was no longer relevant. And we literally just 
I think we were making bonfires out of the boxes. So don't buy too much packaging, especially in the beginning, because things change. I promise you things will change. Uh, even if you think they'll never change, they're going to change slightly. So don't over-prepare. Don't spread yourself too thin there. And I definitely wish I didn't buy all that packaging just to get a price break. That's great. And I've actually made that exact same mistake yeah. in one of my businesses. So I, I, I agree. That's, that's probably a mistake yeah. a lot of people make. Yeah. Yeah. I was Absolutely. going to say, Jay, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Remember those stacks and stacks that we had to find somebody to take. Okay. So this is the fourth question of the four more. So I know you mentioned you're frugal. You mentioned you're from a small town and you came from a very humble background. But that said, is there anything along the way, whether it's in your personal life, professional life, whether it's an experience or a thing that you've splurged on that was totally worth it? Um, so last winter, I went to Switzerland with my girlfriend. That was really cool. The most expensive place in the world. And yesterday we bought a Tesla. So that was cool. Awesome. That's (laughs) phenomenal. Switzerland and a Tesla. What a great couple of years you have had. That's phenomenal. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome. Okay. So that was the four four part of the four more. Now for the more part of the four more. Can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about CrossNet, where they can find out, uh, where they can buy it, most importantly, and where they can connect with you or any of your partners or find out more about you guys? Absolutely. Uh, You could buy CrossNet at crossnetgame.com. Definitely the best spot to go. Uh, You could always chat with me on LinkedIn at Chris Mead. My email is chris at crossnetgame.com. Anybody ever wants to chat? Yeah, we're we're around. Pretty much look us up on the web. CrossNet's a lot of spots. Awesome. Chris, this was absolutely fantastic. I love the phenomenal growth story over literally, it's only been three years. And I'm really excited to have you go, you, maybe even your partner's uh, with you back in a year or two just to find out where you've gone from here and, and to, to continue to watch the explosive growth. So Absolutely. Con- congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. We'll see you soon. Bye. Go Bye. Seriously, Jay, how awesome was that episode? I've got to tell you, I absolutely loved how Chris just gave us step-by-step instructions for things like building a website that works, for prototyping your product, and mostly just dreaming a product and figuring out a way to get it going and make it happen, right? He's just, he's picking up the phone, he's building those relationships, doing all the things that so many of us talk about doing and really going out and making it happen. Absolutely loved everything about that show. Absolutely. And and I love the fact he's he's pretty young. And again, uh, I know we have a lot of young founders out there, but it's just a good reminder. It doesn't matter if you're in your early or mid-20s, if you don't have a ton of experience, if you don't have a ton of relationships, you can be successful. And, and Chris said it himself, everybody out there, all founders, all business people, they're just normal people. And they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. So if they can be successful, you can be successful, but you got to be willing to pick up the phone and make phone calls and talk to people and build those relationships. But if you're willing to do that, there's no reason you can't build a $15 million company in three years. So anyway, are we good here? Anything else to talk about this week? I think we need to wrap this up. Okay, let's wrap it up. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening, and we hope you have an amazing, amazing week. She's Carol. I'm Jay. Now remember, why not you today?
Go start a business, grow your business, have fun. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.